TDN radio listeners. This is This Week in Interview. I'm your host, Anthony Drago, and as usual, every week, we bring you interesting personalities from Dominica and um, from the region. We Our aim on This Week in Interview is to stimulate discussion that's going to engender um, intelligent conversation, stimulate you intellectually, and to just keep you abreast with what's going on on the Nature Isle. Um, this week is no exception. We have with us um, Mr. Lennox Linton. Um, we're expecting to have a very exciting conversation with, um, with Lennox this evening. As you know, um, Lennox has been recently elected as the political leader of the United Workers' Party. And this is a very um, interesting um, position that he's in. And um, we know that the, the momentum is starting to build towards elections sometime in the future. Of course, it hasn't been declared as yet. Um, but we know the political um, football, so to speak, has already been placed in game. Um, so we thought that it would be an opportune time to, to get um, Lennox with, to have a conversation with us to um, get an idea of, of his thoughts, get an idea of his vision for the party as a political party of the United Workers' Party. Um, to most of my listeners, of our listeners, um, Lennox needs no introduction. But um, to those of you who may not be as familiar, because we have listeners from all over the, all over the globe um, who is listening, so we'll not take it for granted. Let us give a warm... TDN Radio, welcome to um, Mr. Lennox Linton. Lennox, we appreciate you taking the time out of, I'm sure, what is a busy schedule to speak with us tonight. Thank you and, and very much for joining us. Thank you very much, Tony. God bless you. Thank you. Now, um, we all know you as a journalist. As a matter of fact, um, I always say that um, you're one of the more admired journalists that I know. Um, I listen to NPR quite a bit in U.S. National Public Radio, and there's this guy on there called um, Tom Ashbrook, and he does an interview, and every time I listen to his interviews, it always reminds me of listening to your interviews. Um, what I mean by that is that every time I hear you do an interview, um, I find that you are able to ask the questions that that are not ordinarily asked, but when you do ask them, the, I always say, wow, that is such a, the exact um, correct an, question to ask, you know. So um, let me give you a chance to introduce yourself, um, give our listeners a little bit of, of, of background, and then we will, we will launch right into um, your, um, your duties, your vision as a political leader of United Workers' Party. Yeah, thank you, Tony. Background is a funny thing. You never really know where to start uh, because it's effectively... <laughs> <laughs> when you start a kindergarten, you start... You're like a painting a picture in the background and this is supposed to be your life. Well, well let, us say, uh, let us say that... I was born, I was, mm-hmm. I'm Dominican by birth. I was born in Maya, Dominica. Mm-hmm. And uh, I grew up in Dominica. I went to school in Dominica. Uh, I, I worked uh, in media quite extensively. And a lot of people who know me, they know the media personality. Uh, but for a number of years that I worked in media, and I was being seen as a media person because I hosted a television talk show for 13 years, in, 13 straight years in Dominica. I 
think it, it is so far the longest running talk show, television talk show in the history of Dominica, and that ended back in 2003, about 10 years ago. But side by side with that, while I was running that talk show, everybody was identifying me with it and with a television-based media practice. I was also working in the, in the corporate sector of Dominica, more specifically for Dominica Coconut Products, first of all, when it got uh, bought out for Colgate Palmolive, the, op- the Caribbean operations of Colgate Palmolive. So I, I have a very extensive business management experience as well, because I, I worked in administration at, in human resource management and marketing, sales, and I also worked on the operations side of the business, more specifically in logistics and uh, areas like customer service and uh, supply chain management generally. So I, I worked extensively in the media, but I also have a very a good background in business management, leadership and management. Right. Uh, I'm married. Uh-huh. I have two children. And... Um, Basically, a very simple guy, you know. <laughs> um, you know, very patriotic, very, very concerned about my country and where it's heading, and uh, what is it we can do better, which is what drives me. And, and I guess that is what um, is probably the motivation between what what might seem to be a switch in career from um, from media personnel um, to actually throw your hat into the political arena. Your um, your desire the, to do, to see the country since, since 2008, uh, Tony, I, I have been doing a talk show, week, weekly talk show on Q95 FM, called Between You and Me. It has become very popular. Uh, but popular because it, it kind of carved out a little niche for itself, because it was focusing on the things that were going wrong in government, and uh, it was digging below the surface and trying to explain to people some of the complexities of governance and many of the irregularities that were going on. And we were able to do some very interesting work. Uh, some of the procurement practices of the government came under scrutiny because of irregularities which suggested some corruption was going on. We were concerned about things like illicit enrichment because we'd been hearing for years about corruption in government and how that was hurting the efforts to move forward. But we were hearing allegations, we were never seeing any facts, we were never seeing any evidence of, of, of that corruption. In the, the media practice that I've been involved in on Between You and Me in the last five years, we have been able to assemble a lot of facts uh, documenting the corruption that is taking place in the government, the irregularities that are going on, and the things clearly that we have to improve in order for us to to that place where we are more effectively utilizing the resources of the state for the common good. And, and so what was happening was that I was in this media practice, this occasional media practice, uh, weekend, every weekend, um, engaging with people and unearthing new things and, uh, you know, looking at our nation. And it became uh, a very... <laughs> it, People looked forward to it because we were we were different, and uh, we were putting our heads where other people scared to go, so to speak. Uh, we, we we were not scared of digging. We were not scared of asking the hard questions, 
And we were not scared of where our investigations led. And, and, and that took me deeper into the, the governance, uh, the good governance that Dominica needs. And, and I started asking myself questions about, well, when are we going to get better? And as, as I looked at what was going on year after year, as we complained about the economy and the politicians continued to feed us one set of numbers that they found favorable, when you look below those numbers, you were seeing the reality in terms of the debt, in terms of the poor performance, attracting foreign direct investment, in terms of the poor performance in economic growth compared to the other islands in the Caribbean. And when we started really crunching the numbers, uh, a very unfortunate picture emerged where we were being told that we were doing well. But when we compared ourselves to our neighbors, many of whom we were more blessed than, but who were more prosperous than us because they were working hard and they were working smarter. And and. I came to the realization a couple of years ago that we needed some new people to get into the political life of Dominica. And that and that for persons like me who had the sort of exposure that I had to, to the outside world, uh, the sort of management uh, leadership training I had, uh, was privileged to have, it was no longer good enough for me to just sit on the fence. Being involved in a, in a media practice that was trying to suggest what was going wrong and what should be going right, and basically depending on others to do what maybe I ought to be trying to help them do better myself. And, and so that, two years ago, in, that reminds in, me. In, without cutting, that reminds me of um, there's this program that I was listening to that that was on whistleblowers in the U.S. And mm -hmm. one of the, one of the guys says um, the reason why he came forward, even though he realized he was doing that great sacrifice to himself, was he asked himself two questions. If not me, then who? And if not now, then when? <laughs> and um, yeah. I, from listening to, to the, the, the different things that you that you laying out, it, it seems as though, even if you didn't ask yourself those questions explicitly, that seems to be um, what I'm hearing, that, that you looked around, you saw things that were going on, and you said, so So, if it has to get better, who's going to make it better? Yeah, I, I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. the, the, take the Constitution. We were, as, as time went by, we were seeing more and more breaches of the Constitution. More and more examples of people in government doing as they please. More and more examples of people with specific constitutional duties, either not understanding what those duties were, or not caring whether those duties were carried out to the letter and spirit of the Constitution. You have an Attorney General, for example, who has specific responsibilities under a certain section of the Constitution to look into the business of the validity of membership in the Parliament. And where he has that role, and he's required to function independently in carrying out that role, he elects to play the politics of the ruling party. Now, playing the politics of the ruling party and object, um, objectively looking after the best interests of the state in terms of membership validity are two completely different things. But we, had, we, we, were, we were looking and we were, we were not finding officers of the state empowered by the Constitution who were functioning and doing what the Constitution expected them to do in terms of protecting the public interest. Instead, they were playing their politics. 
But isn't that, that isn't, isn't a... that a casualty of our system where, for example, the Attorney General is is appointed by the Prime Minister, so we always run the risk of that of, of that happening? Yeah, but, but but the appointment has to come from somewhere. After you have made after the appointment has been made for crying out loud, Tony, it is your responsibility to understand what it means for the constitution to give you independence in carrying out that function. It also, in giving you independence, actually offers some security of tenure so that you can't just get dismissed like that for doing your job. It, in some cases, it involves, you know, you have to go before a tribunal, et cetera, et cetera, and state your case, hear the other side, et cetera. So, so my point is, yes, we have these circumstances where the, the head of one political party, government, the head of another political party in opposition, together are making a nomination to the president or recommendation to the president on who should be appointed to post X or Y. What I'm saying is, once those appointments are made and the requirement is to function independently, that's what the public interest demands and that's what professionally you should do. But we have a problem in that regard because everybody in those positions are playing the cheap politics of the ruling party and the public interest is not in advance. And that's unfortunate. So, so, so we are saying that there, there needs to be more integrity, more accountability in, in government? There needs, to be more, there needs to be more willingness on behalf of individuals who are taking up these responsibilities to function professionally in the public interest. To do the work of the people as opposed to the work of their political parties. And, and that's one thing that has to change in Dominica. It is because of that, I think, I think, we really have not built a team, a professional team in government where people are assigned to functions that they can effectively carry out. They are given specific targets related to the annual budget that they have to accomplish, and their performance is managed on the basis of those goals that are set and what is expected to be achieved over the 12-month period. I have observed this government, and I have not seen any evidence at all that it functions in a coherent, orderly manner. It seems to be bikey-vai. It seems to be hop, um, hodgepodge, where they get some money from some aid donor gives them money to build a road, they build a road. They get a donation to, to fix a school, they fix a school. What is the strategy going forward? What is the vision for Dominica? We are the Isle of Beauty, the Isle of Splendor, the Isle to also speak there. Right there in our national anthem, we find the global positioning strategy for Dominica. We can become the nature island capital of the world. We can become the best place to live and work. We can become the best place to enjoy life. But what does that mean for the people who, who govern us? Absolutely nothing. We have, we have so much potential in terms of renewable energy. We, we see other islands close to us making significant strides in solar, powering public institutions with solar energy. We are light years behind everybody else, but we're sitting on all this tremendous potential for wind. We're sitting on, on this potential for geothermal. We have been pushing with it for years in terms of our geothermal development. All we have to show is that some years ago, we awarded a contract to drill in Sufria area to a company that ended up paying $2 million in legal fees to the Prime Minister's lawyer. And, and years later, we're asking, well, where the holes? What did you drill? What did you do? Nothing. Are we further on? No. We, 
We went up to the Loda area. We did everything up there. We in, ignored the environmental impact assessment study. All of a sudden, the people of Loda started acting up. And today, we're not really hearing anything about geothermal in Dominica because everything that we do seems to be so haphazard, so disorganized. And at the end of the day, the country suffers for it. Because for the amount of time that we've been talking about reducing our reliance on fossil fuels, the amount of time that we've been re -talk talking about reducing our, our energy bill, reducing our food import bill, all of these things that we can genuinely impact, we have made no progress. And we come year after year, budget after budget, we cut and paste from one year to the next, and we see the same old results. And then you have politicians who run to the media and try to fool people with programs that say, well, yes, we care about you. We'll do this for you. We'll do that for you. So let me, let me, jump, let me jump in here a minute, Lennox, and, and say, okay, as the political leader of the United Workers' Party, should we then be expecting um, that sort of plan, um, an outline of some type of vision or, or a strategy. I know you. I know you're pretty brand new. In well, well, I, I'll that. tell you. The United Workers Party will be different. We will, we will operate with a vision for Dominica. That vision will drill down to the values of which we will operate. We will go to the governance fundamentals. And we will drill that through the specific legislation, all of the incentives, the initiatives that we're going to be using to empower people to get the jobs done, the strategies we're going to use to align people, resources, to the long-term goals, to the vision. And we are going to manage our team, our leadership team, according to the goals that are set for the improvement of the economy and the social services in separate areas. I do not know, for example, what this cabinet does on a week-to-week -week basis, apart from meeting and giving duty-free concessions to their friends and so on. I don't know what they do. So, 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 that's, so, that's, that, so that's what I'm asking. Um, yeah. We're we anticipating, we anticipating an election in the near future. Right. Is it that we would be able to see something more than just a manifesto, but more of, I, I know details... Uh, are difficult while you're not in office, but some kind of outline that says, okay, this is what, this is the vision, this is the potential we see, and this is what we, this is the alternative, this is the clear alternative that we're offering you, and, yeah, and, well, well, and therefore, and therefore, if, if we do elect United Workers Party back into office, we would be able to take that document two years, three years down the line and say, listen, um, what happened to that project? If it was achieved, it was achieved. It wasn't achieved. What were the circumstances that prevented it from being achieved? Is that what I'm hearing? That is, is that is that the sort of yeah. um, the, the United Workers Party is going to be big on planning, strategic planning, visioning, strategic planning, and you will see in the manifesto of the United Workers Party clear policy policies that are going to be pursued in separate areas. But you will also see the the way in which the team will ensure that these policies are implemented and the goals are achieved. One of the one of the things that are missing missing from where we in where we are right now is that inability to drill down from goals 
and to, to measure and to measure results and against to measure performance to, right. to measure performance and to monitor how things how well things are going. I think, for example, the the, the weekly cabinet meeting is supposed to be a performance monitoring exercise. It, it, there's supposed to be a performance monitoring dimension to it, where targets that are set for ministers, objectives that ministers have, get reviewed on a periodic basis to see where they are. If you have, if you have not been able to, to get this done, why have you not been able to get this done? Is it a resource issue? Is it that you need help? But it seems that everything is just being allowed to drift. There is no specific management program that we are observing for the important things that need to be done for Dominica. And so you take, you take something like foreign direct investment, for example, and you notice that Dominica has trailed all the other islands. Everybody else is doing 200 million and better, Dominica is less than 100 million a year for the last 10 years, right? And that tells you that we have not been able to attract the attention of serious foreign investors. One of the reasons is we probably don't understand how these deals involved in bringing a major hotel chain to uh, an island location get structured between the developer and the financier and the government entity, and, and the various players who are responsible. Some, some, some of the players own a brand, like a, a Park Hyatt or Marriott, for example. Uh, you have developers who are willing to put the, um, put the investment in the property. They have the ideas as to how the property should be developed. And then you have to go and find the financier now willing to put his money behind it. And in all of that is the government who is supposed to keep all these different players happy. But if we don't understand how the deal gets structured, then we have all these investment promotion dollars that we're spending utilizing scarce resources on people who don't understand what they're doing. And if you ask questions about how much foreign direct investment have we, in, have we attracted with Invest Dominica, which is, which is out there supposedly promoting Dominica, you'll see how poor the results are compared to what has happened in some of the other islands. Okay, so let, we, let, we let's, take, let's take a specific, let me ask you a specific, um, your position in a specific area and how you would approach it. Um, the issue of an international airport mm -hmm. has been around from, from since I know myself, so it must be older than me. Um, yep. I listen to what you're saying, but I don't see how we can achieve any of those objectives without better access into, into Dominica. Mm -hmm. um, what is what what is your what are your thoughts? What's your vision in terms of the, the United Workers Party will build an international airport. There's no ifs and buts about it. We will build an international airport, and, and the reason we'll build an international airport is because we have to open up ourselves to the outside world, and we have to do something from the from the point of view of government in in the management and leadership responsibility for the Dominican economy. We have to make sure there are, there are ways of getting to and from Dominica. We have to make sure there are effective ways of connecting Dominica to the outside world. And one, one way to do that is to ensure we have a properly functioning international airport. For years, we have quarreled with ourselves as to how expensive it is. For decades. <laughs> and we have not done it. Smaller countries in the region have done it and, and have been able to function effectively. There are daily flights now going into Bastes and kids from New York, JFK. And not just Bastes, um, JetBlue flies into Nevis. 
Exactly. <laughs> and, and now, what are we telling ourselves? We, we keep telling ourselves that it is too expensive and we can't afford it. Years ago, Ralph Gonzalez, the Prime Minister of St. Vincent, came down here, um, got together with his Labour Party colleagues, went on the platform and told us how ridiculous it was for us to be thinking of an international airport. We didn't need it, he said. We could operate with what we have. He left that conversation with us in Dominica and went back to St. Vincent to start preparation for getting his international airport, which is opening in about a year's time. All right? So, so, so it wasn't good for us, but it was good for him right here in the, in the, in the Caribbean, side-by-side, side, neighbors in the Caribbean Sea. And so we had a previous, we I had a previous interview um, two weeks ago, and I, what I understand was that we had the same arguments and the same fears um, when it was time to build a deepwater harbor. Or we couldn't build a deepwater harbor, we were not suited for it, it was too expensive. It was, And then we have a deepwater harbor, and it's the most natural thing. We had to buy the bullet and do it. Yeah. Now, understand, understand something. We, the, same, the same Dominica that finds an international airport too expensive is the same Dominica that has no difficulty under this administration building a palace for the president for $27 million. Now, now you ask yourself, what sense does it make? What, how many jobs, sustainable jobs, do we, do we generate from a palace for the president that costs us $27 million to construct and a pretty penny to maintain month to month, year on year going forward? So, so it is the priorities that this government has not gotten right. It is the positioning of Dominica that this government continues to misunderstand. And it is how we energize, how we empower the, the growth engine of the economy with, with specific investments in certain areas that is going to make the difference. So we started the international airport, but we also have to move quickly to, to improve the tourism infrastructure. If we want to see more happen with cruise tourism, for example, we have to create more, better opportunities for facilitating the tourists when they come off the ship. It means more organized shopping. It means better services when they go on tours to the interior and so on. But we need to focus on those issues and decide how are we going to improve the infrastructure to ensure that we're attracting higher volumes of the tourists. And when they come in, we have services that are available for them to buy and are available for them to improve the overall quality of their experience in Dominica. Let's talk a little we bit. We need to pay attention to those fundamentals, which is what we have not done for 14 years. The United Workers' Party is going to be significantly different in that regard. Okay, we so understand I, the fundamentals, uh -huh. and we will pay attention to so them. I heard you talk about um, alternate taking advantage of our energy um, potential. We talk about tourism. I want to hear your vision, especially since you have the background um, from your introduction in manufacturing, um, specifically manufacturing based on um, agricultural produce, agro-industry, agro agro-business. Uh, what is the vision of United Workers' Party in that regard, in terms of, of manufacturing and, and trying to revive the agricultural sector? Um, I, I'm, I'm twinning them together because I... I yeah, well, well, let's start. Let's start with agriculture. Let's start with agriculture because it's an important place to start. We have fertile land. We have the climate that gives us the opportunity to produce a lot of food for ourselves. 
we can produce a lot of food for our neighbors. We can produce food for the world um, in terms of certain niche products and so on. But we can do more than that. We, we have, if we get it right, we can get into agro-processing of citrus, agro-processing that, that brings the, the, the wealth and the variety of fruits that we can produce in Dominica into a processing environment where we are adding value and we're exporting. We, we, we can export. We can do export manufacturing that it will earn, earn foreign exchange for us in the agro-processing sector. And now that, that, that would be an area where we need to focus. Now, we continue as this very healthy land importing a significant amount of boxed drinks, a significant amount of packaged fruit juices. And you ask yourself, when is this madness going to stop? Why is Dominica, with the potential we have to grow all these fruits, why are we continuing to waste scarce resources purchasing juices, fruit juices from the outside so what world do you think is and missing? not exporting, what, what, what and not exporting anything to them? So, so we see the potential for that, and, and part of the development strategy going forward will be to put plans in place to ensure that we have agro-processing capability that can maximize intelligent use of the the potential of the land to produce a variety of fruits. Now, the, the agriculture has to be tied to the tourism because we cannot, we're not going to make progress by asking tourists to visit us and then bringing the food from outside to feed them. Makes no sense. So our vegetable production, our fruit production, our production of fish, our production of meat, etc., have to get to that level where we are providing the requirements of the tourists that visit us in stay and on, on a stayover basis. But because we have not paid strategic attention to those things, we continue to tell ourselves yesterday, yes, we must, we must reduce our food import bill. But because we have no specific plans, no resourced plans, that we are managing well on an ongoing basis, we're just talking and really getting nothing done. So, what would you say to the manager of Fort Young who says, well, when I need carrots or I need cabbages, I need to have it. And I don't see a reliable source, a reliable local source in sufficient quantities that I can plan my menu and plan my events on. So, therefore, but, no, but, I, but, I that, but that's where it begins. The, the Fort Young, the Fort Young manager, the Fort Young owners are in control of the specific demand. They have a demand for X amount of pounds of vegetables on a day-to-day -day basis, on a week-to-week -week basis, on a month-to-month -month basis. We have to do the right organization. We have to find the right alignment of resources to ensure that you have a few farmers, a group of them in Dominica, in some location, that are providing the needs of the Fort Young and other hotels on an ongoing basis. Let me tell you, there are islands in the Caribbean who are doing it well. In St. Kitts, where they have the Marriott Hotel, the local farmers have organized themselves to produce the vegetables that they need. It's a question of organization and planning. 
What we lack in Dominica is the discipline to plan and to stick to plan and to see those plans to completion. And, and, and this government is clueless when it comes to providing leadership, when it pro comes to providing the, the empowerment to get things done in a structured manner. So you have the market there, right, the hotel, and you have the hotels who tell you now, Dominica is supposed to have all these things, but we really have to get it from outside because when we are ready for it, we can't get it. Right. That is a failure of organization. That's a failure of management. That's a failure of the government to get involved and put the right systems in place to ensure that these things happen. We will do that. We will do that. We'll get it done. Okay, well, Alex, we have about we have about five minutes left on the program. I know there are some current events um, happening. There, there are some issues going around the appointment of the president, and and a few other local issues. I I would want to give you the opportunity to to speak about them. And I know um, there is there is some plan for some protest action. Um, so I'd like you to I, I give you the opportunity to lay out um, what your position on is. Well, United Workers Party position is... Um, the last, la last year, Tony, the, the government faced a situation where the president, who serves a five-year term, uh, retired after four years. Uh, it was a situation that they claimed we have never seen before, and the Constitution didn't provide for it, etc. So when Nicholas Liverpool retired after four years, leaving a, a one-year portion of the term to be filled, they, they placed Eliud Williams in the position, and he served for the last year, and that term now is coming to an end on the 2nd of October. The Constitution provides that before the 90 days, from 90 days before the end of the term, before the term expires, <coughs> sorry, you can enter, <laughs> very sorry, you, you can enter into cons consultation, that the Prime Minister can attend to consultation with the leader of the operation on who the replacement should be. Um, the, so that should that 90-day period began on the 2nd of July. The government allowed July to go by. The government allowed August to go by. And at the very end of August, it initiated discussions with the leader of the opposition on the, the whole process of, of a new president. So they made a nomination then. And the, the position of the United Workers Party was that the nominee for the government, Alex Boyd Knight, the current Speaker of the House, was totally unsuitable. And therefore, the, the opposition would not support that nomination, which means... Can you, can you, can you delve a little bit in why, in why you say she, um, the nominee is unsuitable for the position? What, well, what, unsuitable in the sense that the, the President of, of Dominica is the head of state. The president is the chief custodian of the constitution. The president is uh, the wise head that is supposed to guide, that is supposed to counsel, that is supposed to warn, um, resolve conflict, keep the, uh, different, the different sides of the parliament on even keel. Right. And he's required to assent to laws and to make some very important constitutional appointments. It's a very important, some people say ceremonial, but important role because the executive authority of Dominica is vested in the president. The president, therefore, is required to live above the political fray, required to function above the political fray. He has to be fair, he has to be balanced, or she has to be uh, capable of even 
of the government has found it totally impossible to do in 14 years. She has been a very polarizing figure in the parliament. She has been very divisive. She has been very cantankerous. She has been antagonistic towards the members of the opposition and has shown a total lack of capacity for balance. And therefore, no other individual in Dominica in the past 14 years has demonstrated through her work in the parliament that she is so thoroughly unsuitable for the position of president. And so, on the basis of that, the opposition objected to her nomination. Because they did not agree, the process provides for a period of 14 days to be opened up in which the opposition can then make their own nomination and three other members of parliament can also make a nomination in addition to the government's nominee and then the matter will go to a vote. Because of the public pressure, and, and this is not just the, the opposition United Workers Party, it is church groups, it is ordinary members of the Trafalgar community where the lady has lived for a, a, a long time, who find that she is not the right person for that position. Okay. And so the pressure, as the pressure mounted on the government, the government was forced yesterday to withdraw her nomination. They say that the official release said that she withdrew her interest. The popular belief is that the government was forced under pressure to withdraw the nomination. So Alex Boyd Knight is no longer going to be considered for the presidency. And so the protest action that was planned for Friday has now come, or, or the, the meeting that was planned to protest that decision has now become a meeting of thanksgiving and celebration for sparing the people of Dominica the indignity of having a lady of that nature and character as the head of state in Dominica. We'll be in Lago, 7 o'clock on Friday night, for that meeting. Oh, has, now, has the leader of the opposition um, put in any um, nomination of his own? Because you said there was a 14-day period. No, the, in the leader of the opposition has not put in a nomination, because at this moment, while the leader of the opposition objected to Alex Boyd Knight and would therefore have had to come with a nomination, Alex Boyd Knight has now been discarded, so there's no need for nomination if the new nominee of the government finds favor with the opposition. Okay. The government's new nominee is Jennifer Wallace Lafont, and the opposition is now having been informed of that yesterday night at 8 o'clock. It's now in the process of a consultation that will allow it to assess whether it can join the government now in supporting this nomination of, of Jennifer Wallace Lafont, which will mean that an election, if there's a joint nomination, there's no election necessary for the president. That joint nominee automatically becomes the president. Right. You see the point I'm making? Yes, I, yes, I understand that. I, I, I wasn't aware that they had made an alternate um, Yeah, they, they, have, they, have, they have put forward the name of Jennifer Wallace Lafont. She's a former permanent secretary in the Ministry of Education and very well-known sporting figure involved in music and, and culture and so on in Dominica. Okay. And to, to the extent that the government and the opposition can reach agreement on that now, then that matter is done. There's no need for the for the opposition to come up with another nominee. The, the matter may have some twists and turns in it still because the government is going to Parliament tomorrow uh, based on having summoned the Parliament for the Parliament to be advised that Alex Boyd Knight 
the, the nomination of Alex Boyd Knight by the Prime Minister was not agreed to by the opposition, which means that a 14-day period of nomination must now be opened up where other nominations come into the, into the picture. But now that Alex Boyd Knight has been discarded, that meeting tomorrow, in the view of the opposition, is without constitutional legitimacy, simply because the consultation on the new nominee, Jennifer Lafont, must be complete first before that meeting in Parliament can be held. You, you must complete the, the consultation process before the Prime Minister knows whether or not he has a joint nomination or the opposition supports his nomination or the opposition does not agree and therefore we need to open up the, the nominations to other people. So, tomorrow's meeting in Parliament is going to be very interesting because at this moment, um, one is not sure what is going to happen. It seems just from the just just from the ordinary common sense legal point of view, uh, that you cannot you cannot take the meeting that was planned to talk about Alex Boyd Knight as the nominee and make it a meeting that is talking about Jennifer Lafont when the Alex Boyd Knight consultation process was complete, but the Jennifer Lafont consultation process is just beginning. Just beginning, right. You have the opposition not having that time. To... Yeah, you have, the opposition has the opposition would need to to see a resume, the opposition would need to have an audience with uh, with Mrs. Lafour to determine whether or not she meets the qualifying criteria set out in the constitution and things of that sort. Certainly, certainly. And so it seems that the government now having wasted two whole months and now rushing trying to beat the deadline to avoid there being a time when there's no president. But things must be done properly. And, and, and again, you see in this the incompetence of the government, the failure to be able to manage a simple process like transitioning to a new presidency, a new person in the, in the office of president. Well, certainly, we, we are pretty much out of time, but let me just recap a little Thank bit. Thank you, Tony. Because you spoke about, you spoke about um, accountability, you spoke about um, respecting the Constitution, um, you had, uh, you spoke about the development of energy, tourism, agriculture, industry, quite, quite a bit that we covered in, um, 45 minutes. So let me, let me say that, um, you are invited back. Uh, it's an open invitation. Um, <laughs> you are invited back. There, there, there's some ground out of like to have covered, but, um, I, I thought what, what you were talking about was, was interesting because I think the important thing is for the public to get an understanding of of who the people are that are presenting themselves to yeah. be our leaders. And and tonight yeah. you were very open and forthcoming with the information. I thought I thought um that you, you were very candid as well. So I, I thank you for that and I thank you for your time. I thank you, Tony. There's no uh, for me there's no other way. I mean when you when you engage with people, uh the people want to know the truth. The people want to hear what is real as opposed to what is concocted or, or, or what is manufactured. And um, I'm not in the business of manufacturing things. I tell it like it is. It has always worked for me. It will continue to work for me. Well, Lennox, thank you very much. And I wish thank you, you very all the best in your God position as political leader. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay. All the best. Wonderful night.